turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to continue our study on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, one of the things that, um, that I'm wanting you to come away with from this study are the insights that are to be found from reading the Sermon on the Mount as a whole to discover the deeper principles in the Sermon on the Mount by connecting Jesus' teachings. Study this Sermon of Jesus all together, not in isolated chunks. And so to, today we get to this, this part of Scripture where Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts, give good things to those who ask of him? You see, when we read this teaching of Jesus in isolation, just in this one section, we tend to read the passage selfishly. We read it as, as though Jesus is telling us that we can get from God the things that we want. I want something. So I will ask God and expect God to give. I'm looking for direction. So I will seek and expect God to guide. There's an opportunity I want. So I will knock and I will expect God to open the door for me. Ask, seek, and knock. Name it and claim it. I can get what I want. Jesus said so, me, 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 me. Look, if you read this section within the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount, you discover a deeper teaching. And, it's a, it, it, and the deeper teaching is one that does not revolve around you or me. So let's look at the context so we can discover the deeper teaching here. See, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is really about two main things. How to have a deep and empowered relationship with God that results in God using you mightily for his purposes. Jesus tells us the main point of his Sermon on the Mount in his introduction. A portion of scripture that we know as the Beatitudes. The, the first four Beatitudes, they deal with having a healthy relationship with God that grows deeper and more empowered. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus teaches these things. All of those blesseds, they deal with your relationship with God. You see, in order to have a healthy relationship with God, you've got to come to God poor. You've got to recognize that you are in need. That, that what is needed in order for you to enter into a relationship with a perfect and holy God is something that you don't have. That you can't buy it. You can't make it. You can't invent it. You can't borrow it. You are spiritually poor. And once you recognize that you are spiritually poor, what, that happens, what happens to you is you become open to what God has. You say, God, I don't have what's needed, but you have it. So now I'm open to what you have. And when you become open to what God has, when you have become open to what God has to say, now God will speak to you, but he's not going to speak to you about surface issues. All right? He's not going to be speaking to you about the fact that you use cuss words and say you need to choose different words. He's going to speak to you about what's the core issue that drives you to choose a language that does not honor him. He's going to speak to hard issues. He's not going to speak to you about the fact that you spent too much money. 
He's going to speak to you about core issues, about what it is inside you that makes you so dissatisfied with what he's provided that you have to go out and run up a credit card to get things that aren't yours to be had yet. He's going to speak to you about core issues. And when God starts to speak to you about core issues, about heart issues, it's going to give you a reason to mourn. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. You come to God poor in spirit. He speaks to you. You mourn those deeper issues. Now God is working on those core issues. And what it does is it starts to make you meek. Meek, meek is a powerful word. It rhymes with weak, but it is a powerful word. It is a word where there is an empowerment that flows through you because you are so connected with the heart and mind of God that he uses you in mighty ways. And when you become meek, when God is using you in those mighty ways, it's going to make you hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those first four Beatitudes, they all deal with your relationship with God. The next five Beatitudes deal with your relationship with people. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you and false, against you falsely on my account. See, because if you can choose to be merciful, now you are operating redemptively. And that is the heart of God. When your goal is to see redemption, then your motives will change as you deal with people. You'll become pure in heart. And when you're pure in heart, people will see it. You're different. They'll trust you. They'll go to you for advice. You, and God will begin to use you to make a difference in other people's lives. And you can become a peacemaker. In this world of so much division and, and arguments and, I mean... My goodness, I'm just worn out with the way people rub up against each other. We really need peacemakers. God could use you as a peacemaker in this world. But when you start making a difference in this world like that, you start making an eternal difference in people's lives, you know what's going to happen? People who've got other agendas, who want to see their way being done, and you're interrupting that as a peacemaker for God, they're going to come against you. And you're certainly going to be come against by Satan. Because he definitely doesn't want anyone operating as a peacemaker. He doesn't want anybody operating, doing things for good, doing things for God. He'll come against you. And you'll be persecuted. You start making that kind of a difference in this world, you're going to encounter persecution. And that's why Jesus says in verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is not saying that when people make life bad for you, that you should just act happy, smile in spite. You just, I'm just going to grin until you hate it. You know, that's not what he's teaching. He's saying, you want to know why you can be happy about this? Why you can rejoice and be glad? You are making a real and lasting difference in this world. Rejoice and be glad. Congratulations. You've become salt and light. And that's how Jesus concludes this, this opening introduction. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that right there is Jesus' main point for his sermon. How to have a deep and empowered relationship with God that results in God changing you and God using you in a mighty way. God wants to empower you for his purposes, to be a difference maker, to be salt and light. So instead of reading Jesus' teaching on asking, seeking, and knocking in a self-centered manner, let's read it under the main point 
of developing a deep and empowered relationship with God. A relationship that is empowered, that it results in God using you to make a significant difference in this world where you are salt and light. What if asking, what if seeking, what if knocking wasn't about you getting what you want, but instead it was about God empowering you in life to be a leader? See, when you look at chapters 5 and 6 of the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's pretty clear that Jesus is showing us what a deeper relationship with God looks like. Now in chapter 7, Jesus begins to show us what effective leadership looks like, what being salt and light looks like. He begins by warning us not to be judgmental. He says, judge not, that you not be judged. He basically teaches that, that judgmentalism is not how you are salt and light in this world. That that is not good leadership. That's not how you make a difference. You're not going to make a positive difference in this world by setting yourself apart and better than others. That's not good leadership. You don't lead by being judgmental. And, and that doesn't mean, not being judgmental, that doesn't mean that you have to stop using your brain with people. You can still call wrong wrong. You can still call sin a sin. That is not being judgmental. A lot of people use this teaching of Jesus as a means of manipulation. They, they want to get what they want. And they say, ah, oh, don't judge me. You can't judge me. And they, and they expect you that because you're a Christian, that you have to ignore reason, that you've got to ignore their conduct, and that you therefore have to give them what they want. It's a manipulation. And it's a gross misrepresentation of what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is not teaching that you must ignore reality when he says, do not judge. What he's really teaching, it's found in verses 3 through 5. He says, why do you seek the speck that's in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that's in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, in order to be an effective leader, you've got to be the kind of person who can, who, who can look in the mirror and be honest with God about what is really there. To be able to be honest about your own flaws and your own failings first. The key to helping someone else in a non-judgmental way is to take a deep look at yourself first. Then you can effectively lead someone to a better place. But if, if you lead the same way the world leads, by being judgmental, by setting yourself up as better than others, then your leadership's not going to go very far. And, and you're not going to be salt and light. Then Jesus gives us a, an, another advanced teaching on leadership. And in verse 7, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Jesus teaches that if you're going to be an effective leader, that you need to recognize that you cannot help everyone. Look, some people don't want to change. And they cannot be led. You love them, you care for them, you pray for them, but you don't invest a whole lot of time in them. Now, now this is a difficult teaching for us to hear in this modern day of ours because we want everyone to be treated equally. But in reality, some people 
Some people want to go deeper with God, and some people don't. Love them all, but invest your time in the people who are open to change and want to go deeper with God. If you're serious about being an effective leader for God, if, if you can escape the temptation to lead like the rest of the world by being judgmental, by setting yourself apart as better than others, if, if you can be sensitive to God's will in order to know where to invest your time and, and who you're supposed to touch and, 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 and who you're supposed to take deeper, then you're going to have to pursue God with all your heart. In order to lead like Jesus, you have to refrain from being judgmental. I mean, I love what, what Philippians chapter 2 says about Jesus. And about, he tells it to us as to be leaders like this. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus didn't set himself up as better than others. What distinguished Jesus' leadership was he was humble. If you want to lead like Jesus, you must refrain from being judgmental and you must learn to be selective in where you invest your time and energy. And if you're going to be selective without being judgmental, then you need to pursue a deep connection and dependence on God. Relying on God to guide you on who you're to invest in and where you're to give that investment. So let's look again at the passage for today. Verse 7. Under the, the, the banner of being salt and light, of being leaders, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? See, so you need to realize that God has everything you need in order for you to flourish and lead. And if you can escape the temptation to be a judge, you're not looking at others, you're looking at the mirror. And if you can escape the temptation to invest in dogs and pigs, now you can be an effective leader for God because God has everything you need to flourish and lead. But God says, I can't use you until you become aware of the power that you have in Him. And I can't use you until you make a decision to act on it. See, most of us never tap into the power that God has placed at our fingertips. I mean, everyone in this room has incredible potential to be used of God as a tremendous leader in this world. But, in seek, but instead of seeking to grow as his disciple, we humans, we tend to sit back and wait for heaven. And while we're waiting, we kill time by pursuing our own selfish goals and dreams. Judas walked with Jesus. He had incredible power at his fingertips. 
He never became aware of it. The Pharisees, they heard Jesus' teachings just like everyone else heard. They had incredible power at their fingertips. They never became aware of it. That's why they say in discipleship, more is caught than is taught. Because you can teach it to a man. You could teach what Jesus taught, the principles that Jesus gives. You could teach it, but they might not ever act on it. In discipleship, more is caught than is taught. Judas was there. He heard the teachings for three years. Never caught it. Never became aware of the power he had to be a leader. And once you become aware of it, you've got to make a decision that you're going to act on it. How are you meant to lead? By pursuing God with all your heart. And then watch as people begin to follow you. Look, the world has taught you that the way you lead is by setting yourself apart as better than others, by judging people. The world has taught you that that the way you lead is because somebody gave you a badge and a uniform, and it's made you think that the way you lead is by having a title, and it's made you think that the way you lead is by telling people that you're the leader. Look, people didn't follow Jesus because he had a title or a position. They followed him because he was radically different from every other leader that they'd ever encountered in life. He didn't lead top down. He didn't lead by telling people he was in charge. He didn't lead because he was given a title or position. The world has taught us that being a leader means being in control. Jesus taught that being a leader comes from letting God be in control. You know, look, as a parent, there are going to be times that that you have to do some leadership that is top-down, where you just have to say, I'm the mom, I'm the dad, this is what we're going to do. But when you parent right, those times will be far and few between. See, good parenting doesn't happen because you said so. Good parenting happens because you listen and you do life with those children. And when that happens, they will follow you because, because of who you are, not because of what you said. And if you lead in a business or in a class or on a team, there will be times that you just have to lead top down and you have to say, listen, this is what we're going to do. But if you understand this principle that Jesus is teaching us, you're not going to have to do a whole lot of that. Because then the people that you're, you're trying to lead... They're, they're going to listen to you. They're going to show up on time, not because you said so, not because you said here's the punishment that's going to happen if you don't do it. They're going to show up on time because they so love and respect you and they don't want to disappoint you. It's a much more powerful way to lead. In the end, the real key to being a leader is not what you do with people, It's how deep and genuine your relationship with God and your pursuit of God is. That's why these verses, they teach us to pursue God. God has everything you need in order to lead and to flourish. And he awaits the moment when you will awaken to that truth and decide to act on it. And when you come to that point, Jesus teaches you to ask, seek, and knock. Ask 
boldly claim what you know to be true. Boldly claim what you know is godly, what you know is his will, what, what you know is, is truth from God. Seek. Continue seeking for the things that you don't know. You, you ask for what you know. You ask for what you know is true, but, but there's a whole lot that you and I don't know. And so you seek. If you're a judge, you know it all. You can you could pronounce it whatever it's going to be. You don't, know, you don't need to seek if you're a judge because you're a know-it-all. You got God figured out and you're in control. But if that's you, you're not a leader. You're just a judge. Best leaders are still growing. If you're going to be a true leader, one who seeks to lead like Jesus then, then you're going to be a follower as well. Best leaders are always leaders who are still growing. I found out some of the modern day successful people. Warren Buffett, who's a famed investor, who has had incredible financial success. Do you know this guy reads on average 500 to 1,000 pages in books a day? That's a lot of reading. What do you think about that, Seth? He's like, oh, Dad, don't call me out. All right, I'm going to get you next, Spencer. Um, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, he reads on average three hours a day is what's reported. He, and he shares this about growing up. He said he read every book or magazine he could get his hands on because one good idea would pay for the book and make the difference between him being, between him making it or not. Bill Gates, who's the richest man in the world, they say they, he reads about 50 books a year. One book a week, almost. Best leaders are people who are never stop seeking and are always growing. And for us who are Christians, we're always to be seeking God because God knows more than all of the books combined. You seek God, he'll give you access to the libraries of heaven. One of my favorite verses in the Bible about growing and about leadership is found in the book of 2 Peter. And it reads that, it says, uh, first, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. I've already made this point. God has given you everything you need to flourish and lead. Verse 4, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of the sinful desire. What a huge promise. That he's given you everything that you need, and from what he's given you, you can now participate in the divine nature. You can be godly. Oh my goodness. The stress this morning. I'm thinking about how I wish I could have been godly rather than stressed out. We're trying to um, sell the house. The, uh, we have, the house is going to show two times today. We cleaned house. We're sick of cleaning house. Rained yesterday. I'm getting ready. We're getting things done. I made the kids' bed, and I come downstairs to do other things, and I see two of my boys in the backyard, 
It just rained yesterday. Mud. Grass clippings. And I just yelled, no. But it was too late. They were in it. And I'm like, I, and they were about to track all that mud and grass back to the house that we spent all that time cleaning. I go outside and I was like, I yell at them. Book of James says the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. But I yell at him. What are you doing? We're trying to keep clean. Da 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 da. And I and and I just and they start to climb over the fence. And I was like, good. You jump the fence, you go to the car, you don't come back in the house. I come back out a few minutes later. One of them is crying because he slipped while trying to climb the fence and he hurt his chest. And the other brother is over there consoling him. And I'm over there, I just I'm, you go, oh, that's not what I did. <laughs> and then I go over there, and I'm like, ah, you guys, and I see that the one who's trying to console, he's got mud all over him. And I react. Drove to church mad today. You know, I don't know what stresses you out. That promise to participate in the divine nature, I guarantee you, Jesus would not have been stressed out. Through his promises, you and I can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in this world. What a great promise. He's given you everything you need to flourish and lead. Now keep looking at this. Verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and with brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you are growing, you are seeking. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Best teachers in this world are still learners till the day they die. Best coaches are learners till the day they die. The best husbands are learners till the day they die. The best fathers are learners until the day they die. The best pastors are learners until the day they die. You ask for what you know is true. You seek for that which you do not know. See, the key to your success is your depth of relationship with God. Do you know it all? Are you a judge Or are you seeking the wisdom found in the one who knows all things, past, present, and future? Ask, seek, knock. What does knock mean? It means question God. You know, questioning God, that's not offensive to him. He could take it. You You can ask him about his timing. You can ask him about his purposes. And you can do it without bitterness. Did you know that? You can can ask without being rebellious. You can ask without judging God. And when you ask with a sincere heart, God honors that. I mean, look what he says next. He says, uh, for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. And then he says that, that the will of God and that the truths of God are always good. Look at verse 9. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If, if, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
Like I remember teaching students when I was a youth pastor. And I remember some of them being very honest. They're saying, I am afraid to give God charge of my life because I'm afraid God is going to lead me someplace I don't want to go. I think of an old West Texas rancher, Seth, you remember, John Ross Reams. John Ross told me he spent years avoiding God. You know why? He was afraid that if he got serious in his relationship with God, he just kind of kept like, we'll have a little bit of God in the life, but not too much. I'm just going to spend years with a kind of casual relationship with God. He, he spent years with a casual, avoiding relationship with God because he was afraid that if he got serious with God, that God would send him to Africa. Some of you are like, I could feel like that. Well, he did get serious with God. And you know what happened? God sent him to Africa. <laughs> and he loved it. He's been three times now. Listen, the will of God, the truths of God are always good. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows your past better than you know it. God knows your present better than you know it. God certainly knows your future better than you know it. And God is not going to give you a stone. He's not going to give you a snake. If, if, if God wants you in Africa, it's because that is going to be the most exciting place for you to go. You don't have to fear the will of God. It's always good. It's always better than. The best decisions I've ever made in my life have been the decisions where I've just decided to say, you know what, God? I'm going to do it your way. And a lot of the times, as he laid out his way before me, it didn't make complete sense to me. I was like, really? Are you sure about this? Okay, I'm going to trust you. But see, God didn't need me to understand it and agree with it. He just needed me to trust him. To trust in his love. To trust in his understanding. To trust in his wisdom to trust in his love, to trust in his virtues, to trust in his way. And every time I've done that, it's been one of those moments where I can look back and say, that was a pivotal moment in life and things are so much better because I did it his way. God's got everything you need to flourish and lead. And you do not need to fear his will. And in fact, you'll find that the moments that you embrace it will be the best things for you. I don't know what God's plans are for you. But with a crowd like this, with eyes that are as sharp as yours, I could only envision that they're significant. What do you got to do today to take a step into God's will? What do you got to do? Is there some attitude you need to let go of? Is there some addiction you need to give up? Is there some bitterness that you finally need to release? Is it fear? Look at Look at your Jesus. 
Trust Him. Does God want you to um, step up your game and get involved with being a leader? You don't need a title to do it. He's got everything you need. Maybe God wants you to get involved here at this church or in a special way at your business, at your school. What is it? Ask, seek, knock. Don't go asking for your selfish desires. Go asking for his will. Those who ask be given. Those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be open. Father God, I thank you for your great mercy to us. God, I am just amazed that you would use us for your purposes and plans. And, and God, I just celebrate that, that, that not one of us have ever, ever made a mistake so bad that we messed up your plan. That you are that great. Father, in this moment, meet with us and lead us and grant us the strength and the courage to walk in your will. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.